Sometimes it feels like nothing is working. We can do all the right things and check all the right boxes, but life seems to stay the same. What if there's something more? How can we find the life we're longing for? Feel spiritually alive, physically alive, relationally alive, emotionally alive, even financially alive. Together, let's discover how to live fully alive. Well, good morning. Good to see you. So glad that you are here. It makes me happy to see you here. If you're joining us online, I'm glad that you're joining us as we are continuing this series we started. Uh, it's a seven-week series on having health, and that includes spiritual health, mental health, physical health. We talked about that. We talked about emotional health uh, last week, and that was so important. It was important for me. I was listening. Uh, it was, I, I, if, you were, if you were here, you, you realized, wow, this is important for me. Emotional health and stability. Will Smith could have listened to that sermon, and it would have helped him, you know. <laughs> Just in case you think I'm poking fun at Will. Hey, listen, when somebody does something like that, when I, I, I think, hey, there but by the grace of God goes I. Because I think all of us are capable of all kinds of behavior. I mean, it's easy to go, oh, I'd never do that. And then all of a sudden, we're surprised when people we know do that. And maybe it's us. You know, and we just think, how did I do that? Who? The truth is, we all need uh, health. We need to be working on that, growing in that area. Not just when we fall over. Uh, actually, preemptively is probably better, right? And so that's what we're doing. We're being preemptive. We're looking at those different areas of our life that can cause all kinds of stress and problems. One of those is finances. That's what we're going to be looking at today because financial stress is a big problem for many, many people. And it's, it's not surprising, really. It, it is if, you, if, if, you're, if you're not familiar with the Bible, but if you're familiar with the Bible, it's not surprising to see that Jesus talked about finances and financial health all the time. He talks more about finances and financial health than he does heaven or hell. I don't know if you knew that. And, and you see it all throughout the parables. Half of his parables are parables on finances and financial health. If you look at the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you see one out of every, one out of every six verses has to do with finances. So it's, it's obviously important to God. It's, it's all throughout Scripture, and it's important. Why? Because it's important. It impacts us so much. It, it's, it's, we, we think about it, we worry about it, we invest it, we save it, we spend it. I mean, there's, it's all integrated into our life. And so that's why it's impossible to like separate those. We talked about that uh, in the first few weeks. Even though we're going to be looking at each one, they integrate. It's not like a grapefruit where they're all nicely divided. It's more like chocolate milk. When you put chocolate in, it's all mixed up. And so it impacts us. So we're going to look at... A, a whole chapter in the Bible. It's in Luke chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, uh, I encourage you to open that up. If you have an online Bible you use, uh, open that up. Luke chapter 16. I normally, our, our default text, by the way, is the NIV, New International Version. But from time to time, we put it, we use other uh, translations. And, uh, and, and then we usually tell you which translation it is. Well, what's interesting about this text that Jesus that when Jesus teaches this parable that we're going to look at, is that it looks like he's approving 
dishonesty. I mean, if you just read it, that's why it confuses a lot of people. It's, it's probably the most confusing verse in the Bible. For, and certainly for, for a lot of people, it's, it's very, very confusing because they're going, why would he do that? Why would he commend this guy who's basically a crook? He's the hero of the story is this crook. Well, it's actually some incredible lessons that we learn from it. It's often referred to as the parable of the shrewd manager. And we're going to look at that. Okay, so it's about a rich guy who has this manager who oversees his property and his business. So let's look at that. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. He knew he was wasting his, his, uh, his, his possessions. And his business. So he goes, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. And I'm ashamed to beg. So he, he goes, I can't really work real hard. I don't want to beg. I'm too prideful for that. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he's thinking, hey, I, I got I to do something about this. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, so this is obviously on the DL, right? He's, he's, this is off the books, right? And this, this is what makes him dishonest. He's, he's doing something shady, right? Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. So he gives him a 50% discount. He's not going to tell his, his boss. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. A thousand bushels of wheat? He goes, well, take your bill and make it 800. So he gives him, you know, this 20% discount. Again, not letting the boss know, doing it uh, on the sly, being dishonest. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted Shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. So this is Jesus saying, hey, there's a lesson. Uh, there's a, this guy's a hero for a reason. He goes, look at how shrewd he is. I tell you, you, now this is key. We'll look at this in just a moment. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Again, confusing for a lot of people. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So Jesus is saying this is a spiritual principle. This is the way God operates. He goes, hey, I'm, I'm looking at how you handle the small amounts. And I'm going to bless you or not accordingly. He says, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? What is that? Well, we'll look in just a moment. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you the property of your own? No one can serve two masters. In other words, you can't have two number ones. You, each one of us, we have to decide what are you going to have as your highest priority? He goes, either you will hate the one and love, one, love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Here's his point now. You cannot serve both God and money. He doesn't say you shouldn't serve both God and money. He says you can't. There, you have to make a fundamental decision. Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve 
money. Now, this parable is, this story is, is frustrating for people. It's often misunderstood. It's actually shocking, again, because the crook is the hero. Well, here's some things I want to say. So here's where we're going to go. I'm going to give you a couple prelude ideas, kind of set the context. Then we're going to look at three things that, from this story, we see we shouldn't do with our money. Shouldn't. This is things we want to avoid. Then we'll look at five things we need to do each day that come from this story. So let's look at that. First of all, as the prelude is, is he's not praising dishonesty. Note, there's a difference between what he did on the kind of the under-the-table behavior and he, how he said he's shrewd. Shrewd is a, is, a, is a different word, meaning he's clever, he's smart, he's... Well, we'll look at that in just a moment. But, but I wanted to point out, he's not praising the dishonesty. And then also, you can learn from anybody. I mean, he's, we're going to learn from this guy who's a dishonest crook. Did you know you can learn from anybody? Sometimes we think, I can only learn from people I agree with. Have you ever, you know, right? We're in a, we're in a society that basically feels that way. If you don't have my same political views, if you don't have my same, you know, philosophical views, spiritual views, I can't learn from you. But the truth is, nobody agrees 100% with us, right? I mean, I've been married to Sharon for 33 years, and she still hasn't come around to seeing it my way yet. <laughs> I've been working. I, I can, she'll tell you, I work hard at it. She's not there yet. And if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a parent or a kid, you just know that you, 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 you don't see eye to eye on them. It doesn't mean you can't learn from them. If somebody goes to a doctor, they need a, you know, they, they need a brain tumor removed or whatever. They're, they're not, they're, they're, they want to know, do you know how to do that, right? If I go to a doctor, when I had my ACL repaired, I sat down, I interviewed two different doctors. My first question wasn't, did you read the Bible today? I mean, I hope they did, but it wasn't, it's not what I asked. I didn't say, did you go to church last week? I didn't even ask them if they were a Christian. I just said, hey, have you ever done this before? And, and did it work out for the guy? Because that's what I want to know. Because you can learn from people that, that are way different than you. And so certainly that is some things that we can see from this. Now, two reasons Jesus tells the story. One is, is because there's always a, a religious group that tries to infiltrate and if we're not careful, we can get sucked into legalism and all kinds of stuff. Now, the nemesis really were the Pharisees for Jesus. They were the religious people. They were arrogant. They were prideful. They weren't humble. They were judgmental. They were harsh with people. They were demeaning, demanding. They actually didn't like people. What they, what they were most known for is being hypocrites. Hypocrites. And that's, that's a charge that, that the world would, would accuse the church of today that we don't want to be guilty of. Now, if, if they're just making it up because they're making excuses, you can't control that, right? I mean, I, I, I've said this to you many times before. You can't control the lies people make up about you, but you can control the truth. So we don't want it to be true. And so he's warning us, hey, don't be like the Pharisees. And that's what this story, he's actually focusing in, poking at the Pharisees, really poking at, uh, because they were lovers of money as well. So he purposely makes this crook, who loves money, the hero. He says here, when the Pharisees, a money-obsessed bunch, now I'm reading from the message, as you can see, heard him say these things, they rolled their eyes, dismissing him as hopelessly out of touch. And so Jesus makes this contrast. Here's the money-loving Pharisees, the legalistic, uh, demanding people that didn't like people. And then he says, 
There's, then he contrasts it with, with, with what God, what's important to God. He says, but Jesus told them, you are always making yourselves look good, but God sees what is in your heart. The things that most people think are important are worthless as far as God is concerned. What is most important to, to people? Well, I, I think we all know, right? It's, it's your salary, your position, your possessions, where you go on vacation, you know, your, your, your good looks, your, your money. I mean, these are the things that are important to the world. And he says, well, actually, those aren't, those aren't important to God at all. That's why we're doing this series on being fully alive, not getting swept up into the culture and the, and the world's values, but trying to get balance and health in our life so that we're on the right same track with what God has to say about things. And that includes the area of finances and money. We need a new way of thinking about money. And this is really what Jesus does is something counterculture. He says this, the way God views things is different than the way we were all taught growing up. So he goes, so we almost need this spiritual receptivity to be able to receive what Jesus is saying. It's not just a story. It's a spiritual truth about you. And saying, kind of starting out saying, God, open up my heart so I can receive this. But it's not only a warning against self-righteousness, but also the majority, a lot of people are terrible with finances. Most believers are bad at it. They don't save well. They don't retire. They don't, they're not saving for retirement. They're often overextended in debt. And so they don't even think of money the way God would think of money. And so it's a source of worry for them, a source of stress. It robs them of peace. It robs them of of, uh, of joy. It's the number one cause of divorce. I mean, the surveys have all shown that whenever they do a post-op of, of a marriage, no matter how long they've been married, finances is at the root, are the number one reason why it ends up coming apart. So as I said, Jesus is not praising the guy's dishonesty, but he is praising his shrewdness, being shrewd. Shrewd is being resourceful. He can see clearly. He sees things uh, in a strategic way. And so we're going to look at uh, some things in, in, that the story brings out that will help. If we see it the way God sees it, then our stress will go down. Our joy will go up. If you have any money in mutual funds, you know, if you watch it at all, that last year and the year before, I mean, you know, the stock market's been going up. It's been going up. And so a uh, couple months ago, Sharon walks by that, you know, the, it's, it's breaking a new high. And Sharon goes, oh, wow, look, it broke, a, it broke another high. You know, it's all in green. And, 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 and she goes, that's great, you know, because we have 401k, so it's going up. I said, yep. And then if you know that in January and in February, it tanked, right? It went down, NASDAQ alone went down 20%. It's this huge drop. Sharon happened to be walking by. When that happened, you know, it's like at an all-time low, and it's all in red. And she goes, oh, look, it's gone down. That's awesome. I said, wait, wait a minute. I said, you said it's great before. Why is it great now? She goes, she goes because so many people put their trust in finances. And this will help shake some people up, and maybe they'll turn to the Lord. I said, so you're saying if the stock market goes up, you're happy. If the stock market goes down, you're happy. She goes, you bet, you bet I am. She goes, that's how it goes. So she's a smart chick. You know, I learn a lot from that, that girl. <laughs> but that's, well, I say that because Jesus is a talking about this issue, 
of where our, our focus is and changing things, looking at it differently. So let's look at three things that this story tells us we shouldn't do first. First of all, it says we shouldn't waste it. This guy in this story is getting candy. He's getting fired. Why? Because he's wasting, right? That's the, that's the message of this. He's wasting it. It says the manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions. And so this comes to the, this basic question of, is, is it mine or is it somebody else's? Am I the manager or, am I, or is it just mine? Because if it's just mine, I can do what I want with it, right? And who really cares? I can go buy some lotto tickets. I can buy, you know, upgrade my car. My car works fine, but I've got extra money. Go buy another car, buy more clothes, uh, upgrade my house, get trick wheels on my, on, on my car, get a gold tooth. You know, get, get a, a, a handmade sweater for my dog, I mean, or my cat. It doesn't really matter, right? Because it's just mine and I'll, I'll do what I want with it. And I can get involved in impulse purchases and get into debt as much as I want. The current American debt is really staggering. Auto loans, the average auto loan is $30,000 and people are indebted. Student loan, average student loan is $49,000. Credit card is $17,000. Credit cards, as you know, charge high interest, 15 to 23%, which means every time you make a purchase on a credit card, if you don't pay it off at the end of the month, you're actually getting anywhere from 77 to 85 cents on that. So just, but again, if it's, if it's mine, I can waste it. It doesn't really matter. It says if you borrow money from, with interest, you'll end up serving the interests of your creditors. I like that translation. Secondly, this is don't love it. Don't live for it. The problem is when people live for money, love money, they end up doing horrible things. I mean, that's sex trafficking. Is there's, a lot of that's happening because of money, the love of money, living for money. Uh, the op opioid and fentanyl crisis in our country, a lot of that's money-driven. If you've been listening to the news about the oligarchs in Russia and how they're sanctioning them. You know, who put Putin in power was nine oligarchs. See, when the Soviet Union fell apart, it ended up 75% of, of all of their resources, the oil and communications, all that, ended up in just nine people's hands. They had all the power and they wanted to keep the power. And so they found a guy they thought they could control. Some K, you know, KGB uh, ex-KGB head, and because some, some things he had done and said, they thought, we can control this guy, Vladimir Putin. They put him in charge. Well, he ended up turning on him, killing some of them, throwing him into prison. All of those guys, except for like two, are gone. They're replaced by... So the guys that are being sanctioned today are different than the ones that put him in, put him in power. But the ones who put him in power, it was driven out of greed. Out of, uh, they were living for money. It was all about money. That's all that mattered to them. Judas, of course, betrayed Jesus for money, 30 pieces of silver. People lie, they steal, they cheat, they leave families, they neglect children, all kinds of things for money. You cannot serve both God and money. That's what Jesus is saying there. And then also, don't trust it. Don't trust it. For, no matter how much money you have, there's a thousand ways that can be wiped out. You can lose it. Just like this guy lost what he had very rapidly. He goes, what am I going to do? I'm losing my job. It comes out of nowhere. 
So all of a sudden, and some of you have had that happen to you where you lost a job, maybe a career that you've had a long time, and all of a sudden, boom. It can happen, not only that, it can happen to your health. It can happen to your marriage. It can happen to a loved one. certainly can happen to a bank account. And so you don't put your, you don't tie your, your trust to something that you can lose. You tie it to God's love. God's love for you is unconditional. I mean, he died on the cross for you. Regardless of what you've done or doing or will do. And so that's unconditional. God's love for you. That's the message of the gospel. That God cares for you. He loves you. And when you anchor yourself into that, that's a whole different situation. A whole different situation. Well, let's look at five things that we can learn. Five things we can learn. Every day, remind ourselves of this. Number one is that it all belongs to God. God created the universe. He created the stars, the earth, the mountains, the trees, the fish. He created you. And so that's the beginning point for a believer to realize this is on loan to me for, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 years. I, I get, it's loaned to me. And when I die, it'll be loaned to somebody else. And so I am just a manager, a manager. So you're in management. I don't know if you knew that. Somebody asks you, what do you do? I'm, I'm in management. Oh, yeah. You are. You're in your real job. You also have an earthly job. But your real job, which is your spiritual job, you're a manager. God has, it's a gift, but you're also to manage it. And you recognize that, you know, when you get in your car as you leave today, this car is God's car. You go home, this is God's, is my, is God's home, his, his apartment. You eat lunch on some dishes, these are, these are God's dishes. Tonight you go to bed, you jump in your bed, this is God's bed. Your worry and stress level will go way down when you realize that it's God's. You're just a manager. You're driving, and you get a fender bender. You go, God, you, your car, it's got, it's, <laughs> looks like it has a pretty big dent. What do you, what do you want done? Do you want me to repair it? Do you want me to drive it like that? It's your car. It's not mine. God, your, your, you know, your kids, you know, their teeth are crooked. God, you're, just, that's his kids. Your, your, kids need, your kids need braces, God. Worry goes down when you realize who's really in charge. Jesus said the owner hired a manager to run his business and oversee all of his wealth. That is us. We're the managers. We're taking care of God's property. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. Not just finances, but that's true with our time, with our, with our health, with our mind, with our talents, how we use our talents. That's why we do growth track. Growth track we offer every month. And the reason we do that is, is we want to help you in your spiritual journey because we want you to utilize the gifts, the talents that you have to make an eternal difference. And we think that uh, that's important. And we want you to realize that's important. That's why the vision of this church is to help people to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, which is what Growth Track's about, and then make a difference. We want to help you to make a big impact. Not just hope that it's an impact, it is an impact. And so we never want to waste what God gives us. It all belongs to God. It also shows if I can be trusted. God uses money to test us 
And he says, can you be trusted? It's, it's never like, we don't get automatic blessings. Sometimes we get that. But most in life, it's blessings are because we've proven ourselves to be capable and responsible to receive more blessings. That's what this next verse is about. Verse 11 and 12, one of the most important verses in this story, and really in the whole Bible. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. That's Jesus saying, this is a spiritual truth. If you can be trusted in little, it means that he can entrust you with more. Whoever is dishonest with very little also is dishonest with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? He goes on, he says, if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So recognizing we're managers, I don't own anything, and this is a test. If you were the child of one of the wealthiest people, uh, you know, in America, and they told you, hey, uh, I'm, I have all this wealth, and when I die, it's going to be yours, but I'm going to give you a, a small amount now, I want to see how you handle that, to see if you can be able to handle this other wealth that's going to come your way. If you do well with that, you'll get this. If not, not so. And then test, how would you do? You'd, you'd work a lot harder, right? Well, this is connected to that because we make that connection. By the way, if you're a parent and you have a will and, and you know that your kids will just waste your inheritance, maybe on something very destructive, and you're just, just bent on, I'm giving it all to them, that's, that's not wise certainly not biblical. So you need, might need to th rethink that. that uh, this is a spiritual principle that, hey, how, there's a test that happens, not just with us, but when we're in managers of, and, and, you're, and your inheritance, when you die, you're a manager of that too, because you're going to dictate how that, where, what happens to that. So how I handle blessings, how I handle uh, the things that God entrusts me with, that makes a big difference. Number three, money is a tool. Money is a tool. Now, it can be used for God's purposes. You go, well, wait a minute. I thought, I thought money was, you know, I thought money was evil. No, the love of money is the root of all evil, the Bible says. That's the love of money, but not money itself. The money is neutral. It can be used for good. It can be used for bad. It can be used for right or for wrong. So, in the story, it says, I tell you, use your worldly wealth. So you use it. You don't love it. You don't live by it. You don't trust it. But you can use it. You use money and you love people. A lot of times people get that reversed. They, they, they love money. And then if you love money, you will use people to get more. That's just the way it goes. And so our, what we're supposed to do is love people, but we use money. Money spread out money somebody said money's like manure if you spread it out it grows things if you pile it up it stinks you know <laughs> and so money in a way is like that where we where we use it and you can use money in different ways you can use money to save time when you use money to save time that's a good way of using money because your time is your life you can always get more money you cannot get more time so when you use money to save time and there's a lot of ways to do that. That is a good thing. You can use money 
to honor God. You can use money to bless. You can use money to save lives. You can use money to invest in people's eternity and save their lives. And that's, that's one of the greatest ways to use money. So the hero, the hero in this story, those are three things we don't want to do. Three things God wants you to do with your money. Now, this is actually three things that we see that this, this guy did, even though he was dishonest, he did some things right. One of the things he did right is he looked ahead. He goes, what am I going to do? That's in verse 3. What am I going to do now? He's thinking of his future. So many people, they just live hand to mouth only what's right in front of them. You know, savings, Europeans on an average save 12% of their, of their income. Japanese save 25% of their income. Americans save negative 1%. They're going to the debt. We could do better. There's room for improvement at negative 1. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So we need to be thinking ahead. It says the wise man looks ahead. The fool attempts to fool himself and won't, what, face the facts. Sometimes that's the problem. We don't want to face the facts. We're in a house that we can't afford. We're in a car that we can't afford. We're in, we're in over our skis. We're just, and, and we think, oh, no, maybe instead of just, you know what? I need to face the facts about this. Also, he made a plan. He goes, I'm going to come up with a plan to help my situation. He goes, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job, people will welcome me into their houses. So having a plan, having like a financial plan. I mentioned to you earlier that the number one cause for divorce is over finances. One study that tracked people over five years, and looked, people were having marital problems, and they were arguing over children, in-laws, spending time together, and money. Five years later, they wanted to find out what was the number one predictor of divorce out of those four things. What do you think it was? It was finances. Finances work their way in and end up causing all kinds of problems. One of the, that's why and we have a small group we offer each semester called uh, the Financial Peace University. And, and one of the things they do is help you to have a plan. You need to know where you're going. We should make plans counting on God to direct us. And then he acted quickly. He didn't procrastinate. He didn't delay. He put his plan in motion right away. He says, then he went at it. I love that. He went at it. He, he moved ahead. Again, so Jesus doesn't commend the dishonesty, but he does say, hey, this guy did some things right. He thought ahead. He made a plan. And then he did it now. And, he, and notice he invests in relationships. That was, that's an important part of what Jesus uh, is getting at here. The best use of money is to use it to get people into heaven. When we use money and pour it into relationships, particularly to help them change their eternity, there's no greater way to use our finances. We leave a lasting impact that way. Jesus said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about heaven, eternal dwellings. And he's saying... There's going to be people, if you invest in that, they're going to, that's, that's a heavenly reward. Imagine going to heaven, and as you show up, there's hundreds of people, maybe even thousands, but certainly hundreds of people applauding and clapping and celebrating you being there. And they're saying, all of them are saying, I'm here because of you. 
And you go, well, wait a minute. I don't, I wasn't really all about sharing my faith. How'd you end up getting up here? Well, well, you invested in the local church. And the church you invested in was serious about sharing the gospel. And I gave my life to Christ. You see, you get that eternal reward. That's what he's talking about. Even after you die, if this church is around, and, I'm, and I'm, I guess I'll be in heaven too, right? And, and uh, you know, 50 years from now, whoever's speaking from this platform and people come to Christ, you invested in this work. And that goes to your eternal reward. That's what he's talking about. And we have opportunities to do that by investing in, 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 in the church, in the food pantry that we have, baptisms. You know, a lot of, we have found that people will come to baptisms and that's the only reason they'll ever come. You can invite them until the cows come home and they'll never come. And sometimes I've been told that. In fact, I was told that just recently. Somebody said, he goes, I'm here. He goes, and the roof didn't fall in. I said, we reinforce that just for you, you know. <laughs> but that's, that's their attitude, right? But they will come to a water baptism. And so I encourage you, if you've not been water baptized, to be water baptized. We have one coming up April 23rd. And invite them. We have some invite uh, cards, digital cards to help you with that. But we would love to have you. They will hear the gospel. They'll come and support you. And that's a great way to impact people. But when we invest in people who are, go and help them get to heaven. I mean, we have the IRA, right? Individual retirement account. The EIRA, eternal individual retirement account, is when we have people that are there because of our investment. One day, I'll give an account to God. The truth is, we're going to give an audit for our lives. That's what this story is about. This guy had an audit on his life. Each one of us, we will have that day, a day where we stand before God, and God says, is going to say, I gave you everything. How did you manage that? Did you treat it like it was all yours, or did you realize you were, you were, just, a, you were just a manager? You was on loan. And then when, you're, when you die, it's on loan to somebody else. And again, not just the finances, your creativity, your talent, your time, your health, all of those areas. Now, we have people of all different economic stratus in this church. We have some people that, are, that have quite a bit. We have people that have very, very little. We have people all in between, which is most of us. So it's not about amount. It's about your attitude about what you do with what you have. That's all God ever expects. That's all God ever expects. And each one of us, we have to stay focused on that. As a pastor, you know, I can, I, I, I can, I go to conferences and one of the conferences, one of the things pastors always say is, how big is your church? You know, and I, I, can, I can think, well, it's bigger than a lot of churches. And then I get filled with pride, but it's not as big as some. And then I feel, then I get discouraged. So I have to stay focused. And no, no. I am accountable to God for what God brings. And so it is enough. What God brings is enough. And I need to just be responsible to, do, to manage my life and, and, and staying in God's word and bringing you the truth that God gives me. That's what I'm responsible for. Nothing else really matters. And so we need to all stay focused on that. God, I want to be a good steward. I want to be a good manager of what you have for me. You must now give an account, Jesus says, of your stewardship and report what you've done with what I have entrusted you because, key phrase, your time as a manager 
is ending. There will be a time when it will all end. And then the time comes when we're, we give an account. I want you to do well. That's why we talk about this. It shouldn't be a surprise. No, it's a good news, bad news scenario because now that you know this, the good news is you can get started and do well. The bad news is if you ignore this at the end of the day when you go, I didn't know, he's going to point back to this day. He's going, ah, no, you were there. You were there. I would take the good news side of that. God, I want to be a good steward, a good manager. Not just live for myself. You know that great Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Jimmy Stewart plays George Bailey. I'm sure you've all seen it. Great storyline. He wants to go and travel the world, and he ends up having to stay in Bedford Falls. When he has imagined he's going to do all these heroic deeds all over the world. He ends up not doing that, spending his life in Bedford Falls, this little town, but just influencing hundreds and thousands of people, his neighbors, his, his you know, he's a good husband, good father, good neighbor, good, you know, he's got the savings alone. Well, as the story goes, the savings alone ends up in trouble. $8,000 in debt, which in 1945 was, 1946 was a huge, you know, this enormous amount of money. And so he comes to the conclusion he's worth more dead than alive. And then in a plot twist, everybody all throughout the town, everybody who hears about it, they all show up at his house bringing any kind of money they have and they're all putting money in this bucket and they end up having plenty of, they, they cover the whole 8,000. And then they're cheering and singing and then his younger brother says, I want to offer a toast. Everybody be quiet. I want to offer a toast. He goes, to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. He wasn't the richest man financially, but he was the richest man because of how he had impacted so many people. Most of us are not going to, we probably will never be super rich, right? I mean, the one per, to be in the 1% of, of, of the wealthiest people in America, it means you have to, you have to make $465,000 a year. So I think for most of us, we're out, right? That's, we're somewhere in the 99%. But you can be the richest person if you go and do what Jesus says. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to manage it differently. I'm not going to love it. I'm not going to trust in it. I'm not going to live by it. I am going to manage it. I'm going to recognize it's a loan. And then God owns it all. He's the one. And money is a tool, and I'm going to use it to advance the kingdom of God. I'm going to steward it well. And I'm going to be ready for that day. Would you bow your heads and pray? If you would, just take a moment. We're just going to take a few, a few minutes. You just bow your heads, close your eyes. God, today, I pray your presence, your power will be here. You know, there's some things that Jesus says that are actually kind of challenging, like today. And if our spirit man, our spirit woman is, is not receptive, it just doesn't go anywhere. And that's actually bad, because now we are accountable. We have this information, but we don't, it doesn't transform us. It's information without transformation. You never want that. That's why Jesus gives that warning to the Pharisees. 
You don't want to say one thing, believe one thing, and do something else. So how do we not end up there? Well, you open up your spirit person. Say, God, come. Make this truth a reality to me. This is something that God does through the Holy Spirit. Say, God, I don't want to waste your money. I want to invest it in eternity. I realize it all belongs to you. Would you say, God, I want you to be able to trust me with greater responsibility. Teach me how to be responsible with what you've given me. Help me to do what this manager did right. To look ahead, to make a plan, and then not procrastinate. I want to store up treasure in heaven. If you've never asked Christ into your life or today you're far from God, I want to invite you to say a prayer to say, God, I, I, want, I want you in my life. I need your help. I want to put my faith in Christ today. You know, that's an invitation that Jesus offers today to you. He wants to open up your spiritual understanding, your, your heart, that there's a spiritual part of you, your soul that opens up. But it only happens when you invite Christ into your life. And for some of you, this is, this is your day. This is your moment right here, right now. And I'm going to invite you to pray with me. To say yes to God. Say, God, I'm, I want you in my life. This isn't about you joining our church. This is about you getting right with God. You taking that step towards him right now in prayer. And I'm going to invite you to just pray along with me right where you're at. You can, God can read your thoughts. You can, you can think it. You can whisper it however you feel comfortable. But you do need to begin. It's the, it, it starts with you inviting Christ, inviting the Holy Spirit into your life. This is your moment. So I'm going to ask you if, you, if that's you, you're saying, Andy, I, I want to take that step. And I want you to just boldly let me know right where you're at. Just put your hand up. Say, that's me. Count me in. Put your hand up. All right. Lord bless you. Anybody else? Yep, I see you. Okay, I can, yep, in the back. Keep your hand up. A couple more moments. This is, this is your, take this moment. This is yours. Bless you. Yep. Okay, you can put your hands down, everyone. Say this prayer if you would. Say, dear God, today, I surrender my life to you. I ask for your Holy Spirit to come and renew me, to give me a new hope in my life where doubt reigned before. Would you say, forgive me for trying to do things on my own, my obstinance? Would you say, God, soften my spirit, soften my heart. I want to be disciple, to learn from you, to follow you. Teach me what that means. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you congratulate those who prayed that prayer? You know, I'm certainly proud of you for praying with me, and I'd love to hear about your 
your spiritual journey. If you prayed with me, any prayer request you might have, you can do that on the Connect card that's in the seat back in front of you. Also, the Connect, the uh, Q, the QR code is an easy way that, that to uh, let us know about any prayer requests you have and some other information that is on there as well. You know, your next step, if you have not done so, is to be part of Growth Track. Today is the beginning of Growth Track, step one. It's four steps. And so step one, one hour, we'll watch your kids if you have kids. We have a Panera lunch for you. We'd love to have you. Uh, we have plenty for everybody. Uh, and thank you for, if you give to our church, thank you because you just bought everybody who goes there to lunch. That's where it comes from. And it certainly, is, uh, everybody always seems to like it. So thank you for investing in people that are going to Growth Track as well. Well, if you would stand with me, I want to go ahead and pray as we transition to a song. It's the first Sunday of the month when we pray over the offering as well. So let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us, your kindness to us. Lord, you are our provider. You own it all. It's on loan to us. Help us to be a good manager. Lord, I pray for those who give towards the gospel and to the advancement of uh, people going to uh, heaven. Father, I pray, Lord, for your blessing upon them. Lord, let them receive an open heaven pouring to come out. Lord, we rebuke the devourer and we, Lord, pray that you would enrich us. Expand our tents. Let us have more influence. I pray for you. every person here, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen.